Good morning, Heart Church. Hey, welcome. My name is Shane Rogers. I'm the pastor here at Heart Church. And for wherever you're turning in, whether you're tuning in live right now or maybe you're watching this on Monday or Tuesday, we're really glad that you came to join us. And uh, we are a church here in Escondido. We have an outdoor service starting at 9 a.m. And every week, as promised, uh, I walk across the parking lot to our sanctuary studio and preach a live Facebook Live message for those of you who are maybe out of town or uh, here in Escondido and maybe aren't quite comfortable yet coming out, uh, then this message is for you. This is what's going on right now uh, at Heart Church and what God is saying. Uh, I want to invite you out though. If you do live in Escondido or you're just visiting and uh, you are feel comfortable coming out to an outdoor service, uh, we would love to have you at 9 a.m. at um, uh, 215 South Hickory Street. Well, hey, let's dive into the message. Uh, We've been in a series. Uh, We're actually going through the book of John, but we landed in John chapter 5. And we've been in John chapter 5 for, this is the fifth week now, because we started a miniseries. And this miniseries is called, You're Too Powerful to Live Powerless. And the impetus behind it was that Jesus found this man next to the pools. And this man had been there for 38 years. Why? Because he was powerless, he didn't have the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to see beyond his circumstances, and the enemy had stolen his power. And I think that the enemy does the same thing for us. I know he tries to do it with me often. So he sort of outlined different chains that the enemy uses to keep us powerless. And the first one was a chain of shame connected to our identity, how the enemy comes and keeps us defeated and deflated in shame because of the past and because of the things we've done. Second thing the enemy does is use this fear in our circumstances to keep us powerless. And we know that that happens a lot right now, just in our world, like fear. And then thirdly, last week we talked about the chain of offense and how the enemy uses that to keep us powerless in our relationships and that God is moving us forward to a place where we can walk victorious. We don't have to be the victim And I was going to end this series, but this week uh, the Lord spoke to me again and said, I want you to do one more. And I want you to do it on the chain of distraction. And that's what we're going to land today, the chain of distraction. And so I want to start um, by telling a story of when I was on my way back from the road trip that I took last week. I took a five-day road trip, went all the way to South Dakota, got a trailer, long story, pretty epic. But um, on my way back, the last day of my travel... I was driving through Utah and I had just like this incredible experience and the Lord really spoke to me and he said, I want you to do one more. And he did it because I was driving through Utah, it was the last day, and um, I stumbled upon this song. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I'm driving and, and there's a song that comes on. And it's just like the exact right song in the right moment. And man, like the presence of the Lord just came into my car. I don't, this song, I hadn't even heard it before. It wasn't like some epic worship song. It was just the right song. And for three hours driving through Utah, I'm listening to this song on repeat. I don't think I've ever listened to one song so many times over and over. But every time I was about to end, I'm like, oh, just one more time. Just one more time. Because it was just so good. I was like in tears as I'm driving through Utah and God's just speaking to me. And he's just ministering to me. And it was just like exactly what I needed in that moment. And so as I got through Utah and Arizona and then, came on to Nevada, I got to to Las Vegas and I was just kind of like navigating with traffic and on some phone calls. So I turned the song off. And so um, as I got closer to home, I had about an hour and a half left until I got home and I was just entering San Bernardino. 
And so I thought to myself, like, hey, maybe I'll put this song back on and I'd love to just kind of like, you know, uh, hear it again and, and uh, you know, just have that, sort of recreate that moment. So I put it on and no joke, well, rewind the tape. For the, for the five days I've been traveling, going through seven states, six of the states I didn't get honked at one time. I didn't, I had experienced no road rage, nobody swerving around me, no one being rude on the road, dri- driving, driving all of that way and all that way back. Now, mind you, when you're on a road trip with a trailer, it's a little different, right? I'm, I'm minding my speed. I'm trying not to be in the way of people. Sometimes, you know, I don't succeed at that. Sometimes I'm in the fast lane too long, you know, passing an RV and people were just like really gracious on the road. Well, when I entered San Bernardino, I put this song back on to create this moment. And instantly, I'll tell you, in the course of like 30 minutes, I got honked at five times. I, I had people swerving around me. And I'm just like, I'm trying to do my very best to stay out of people's way. I'm going like 65 miles an hour pulling this trailer. One time, I get into the fast lane just to, for a moment to get past this semi. I mean, literally, I, I'm in this fast lane for a couple minutes. I look in my rearview mirror. And there's this guy swerving, arm hanging out the window, flicking me off as if to say, how dare you get in the fast lane in San Bernardino? This ain't Utah. This is California. And I was like, oh my gosh, I live in California. I hope I'm not that guy. But it was like a stark difference. So I swerve over into the slow lane again. And again, the song's still going and I'm still trying to like create this moment. I'm a little frazzled. And finally I turn it up and all of a sudden I hit this patch of road that was like crazy bumpy. And so I'm, I'm got like, I got the trailer behind me and I'm going like this and the song's playing and I'm like trying to get into this headspace. It's like people swerving around me and instantly the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is what my people are dealing with. It's not Utah. Again, this is not a geographic thing. This is like a spirit of a thing where the enemy was sort of identifying the fact that as awesome as it was for me to cruise through Utah, not a car in sight, just beautiful mountains, peaceful, God speaking to me. It was amazing. And it's like, how, how nice would life be if it was just uh, smooth sailing? It's kind of like Peter when Jesus and Peter and John went up on Mount Transfiguration and the angels start singing and you've got, you know, Moses and Elijah there and Jesus is shining. And Peter goes, man, let's build a tent here. Let's stay here. Like, let, this is amazing. And why? Because we all want to live on that mountaintop. We all want to live on that smooth sailing. And the Lord said, you know what? You don't live with smooth sailing. You live in San Bernardino with swerving traffic, honking, people being rude, you know, bumpy roads. And this is just like life. It's the spirit of distraction. And so I felt like the Lord said, I want you to preach a message unique to us. And if you live in California, you know that it actually is very unique to us. We have unique distractions and there's distractions everywhere. There's dynamics everywhere. Um, but especially in Southern California, there is just a climate that can be very distracting and the enemy leverages that and uses that to steal away our power. And so this is what I want to talk to you today about. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. And, and I wrote this sort of one-liner about what, what distraction kind of is summed up in. People or things that suck our best energy in the day leaving us with the leftovers to give to what's important. That's distraction. People are things that 
that, that vie for our attention and our best energy, leaving us to give what's really important, our leftovers. I know you can relate, because I can relate, whether it's, you know, going to work and, and giving our very best and just being emotionally depleted and going home to the people that are most important in your life, your kids and your spouse and your dogs, hello, and you just don't have the emotional energy, you give them your leftovers, and, and, and that's the spirit or chain of distraction, because there are things that are important in life that we must have energy and time and bandwidth to give to. But the enemy, man, if he can't destroy you, he'll distract you from giving your best to the things that really matter, to kingdom things, to eternal things. And so the first, I want to go through three different distractions that kind of connect with three different stories in the Bible. So stay with me. The first one is Mary and Martha. Maybe you know this story where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house and he's coming to hang out with them, but Martha thinks he's coming over to have dinner. I don't know if you've ever, you're, you're like that, where somebody comes over to your house and you're instantly like, the place has got to be dialed, the amazing meal has to be cooked, it's got to be homemade, you can't go out and get it, um, because people are coming over, even when there's not that expectation. And that was the case here, where Martha was sort of like building this expectation up in her mind of what, what Jesus would want. And Mary, she was the opposite. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10 in verse 40. And it says this, But Martha was distracted with much serving. See, she was distracted with good stuff. It wasn't like distracted by sin or by evil things. She was distracted by, man, there's a lot to do. And who else is going to do it? And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen it. I want to talk to you about the distraction of busyness that steals our relationships. That's the first one. The distraction of busyness that tries to steal our relationships. It's never been easier to stay busy. In fact, it's kind of like a common saying, like, hey, what's going on? You're like, hey, just trying to stay busy. Just trying, especially in the COVID, right? Where it's like emails and uh, text messages and demands and people, and then you get your phone out and you're, you know, just staying busy, staying busy. You got stuff going on in your mind, dynamics, everything to stay busy. And what Jesus was saying to Martha was, there's something else here. I know there's stuff to do, but there's something else here. And, and, and Mary has chosen it. And I was reminded of a conversation that I had with my wife on our way someplace last week. And, um, this may come as a surprise to you, but as a husband and a, and a, um, a pastor, um, I also have a, uh, a dynamics at times where I got to work on my marriage and I'm not always the best husband and we don't always connect. And so we're driving along and I'm talking to my wife uh, and, and she's talking to me more, more, more than I'm talking to her. And we're just talking about like not really feeling connected, not feeling like just as intimate as we've been and just kind of missing each other. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube where you're just like not quite there. And it's been like that for a couple of weeks. And I remember something coming out of my mouth that I felt like, like really nailed it. And I hadn't, I, I wouldn't have articulated this before, but just as we were processing together, I, I was just like realizing, man, over the last couple of weeks, our connection point has really been more about logistics than it's been about relationship. 
And this is just like a practical example of how the enemy wants to steal our power by distracting us with busyness to steal our relationships. Our relationships are one of the things that's most important. But if you can get us busy, and so what, one of the things that we said is just like, man, we just got to, we got to set aside the schedule. We got to set aside the budget. We got to set aside the, it's like we're air traffic controllers these days. You know, the kids are going this way and we got a budget and we got to, when, when are we going on vacation? Who's coming in town, right? It's like all the plates spinning. It's all good stuff. It's like Martha going, man, I got to serve. I got to, I got to bless my, 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 you know, my teacher. And, and he's like, you know what? Martha, I appreciate your desire to just stay busy and do good things, but there's something more here. In our relationships, there's something more than just navigating logistics. And it happens in the margin, doesn't doesn't it? We were created for intimacy and connection. And so what, what I love about the story is that Martha comes to Jesus and says, tell her to help me. And I feel like that's, that's the spirit of the busyness distraction. It's constantly beckoning us like, come on, come on, you need to, you need to come over here. You need to be distracted. You, you need your attention on this email or on this problem or this demand or this thing. And it's like Martha saying, tell her to help me. Tell him to help me. You need to, you need to get more engaged and be more busy. And what, what Jesus says is, Mar- is Mary has chosen. At the end of the day, This is a choice to say, I am going to close the book today on being distracted and I'm going to give myself to the things that are important. And it starts right here, doesn't it? It starts with our relationship with God. We all can fall prey to being busy and distracted and not have time and energy to actually give to our relationship with God. Maybe we read a verse of the day and we call it good, right? We say our prayers, we go through the thing. We can do the same thing in our relationships with our wife or our spouse or our, our, our kids or whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's the same thing. It's the spirit of busyness that steals our margin and our connection with people. And we have to fight for our connection with people. So good. The next one, is um, that I want to touch on is the story of David and Goliath. So we touched on Mary and Martha and busyness. And so now I want to pivot and talk about David and Goliath because this one is where the enemy comes to distract the, the, the distraction of conflict that steals our power. The first one's a distraction of busyness. Just keep us busy. Keep us busy. This one's a distraction of conflict to steal our power. And we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a familiar story, but I want to read it. It says, David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Talking about Goliath. But then it says, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You see the demeaning nature of his brother Eliab. David's coming and he's like, Man, here's the enemy. And Eliab instantly attacks David. Who are you? And then he goes on. And he says, I know how conceited you are. Wow, like... The attack that instantly came on David. Notice how quickly the, the, the narrative changed. The conversation changed from David coming. Look at this un, 
uncircumcised Philistine. Look at the, the real enemy that's coming against the armies of the living God. And, and Eliab, rather than together pointing at the real enemy, Eliab comes at David and goes, who are you? Like, aren't you, aren't you a shepherd boy? Like, you're not one of us. And oh, by the way, I know what's in your heart. The, 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 the narrative quickly shifts. And, and, and I'm telling you, the same thing happens with you and me. The minute that we identify the real enemy, distractions come to, 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 to get our attention away from fighting the real enemy. And watch what David does. I love this. He says, but David turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. Then David said to Saul, let no one's heart, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight. And I just like, as thinking about this story, this, this could have gone so differently. Like David comes with all the best intentions. First of all, he doesn't get invited to this epic battle. And, and he's battle worthy. We know that. But he didn't get invited to that. In fact, he's the, the, the errand boy bringing lunch to his brothers who are on the battlefield. But no one's doing anything. And David recognizes that. And David sees Goliath. And he's like, man, let's take this guy out. And instantly he gets pummeled. And how easy would it have been for David to take offense to that? He's just like, man, why are, you, why are you all calling me out in front of my friends? And then all of a sudden, it would be so easy for the story to go, and the narrative and conversation shifts to Eliab, the brother, and David and Eliab have a falling out, and David goes whining and complaining as the victim. I mean, come on, is that not how the story goes these days? And it's not the story. And by the way, if you read the story and even past that, I don't see anything and I don't read anything about David having an issue with Eliab later on. He didn't, he didn't uh, hold a grudge. He didn't carry this frustration on and allow them to affect their relationship. He saw it for what it was. You know what? You're not my enemy. I, I can see my enemy. If you would just take a second and look, we could both see our enemy rather than trying to fight me. And so David didn't take offense to that. He saw it for what it is. And I just think that you and I, we have such an opportunity. And, and if we don't turn and pivot the way that David did, then, then the enemy will turn friends into foes. People that are truly your friends, maybe they don't agree with you and maybe they're not always kind and maybe they're not always on their A game and sometimes they say hurtful things, but it doesn't mean that you're, they're your enemy. It doesn't mean that they're your foe. But if you take those little, the little foxes, the little offenses, the little things that are said here and there, and if you take them and you don't deal with them and you don't pivot away, then the enemy will use your imagination and before long, you've created an enemy who's really your friend. And then you start fighting against somebody that you should be fighting for. And this happens in marriage all the time. Where, where just those little foxes, those little disputes get in there. And, and then they play with your mind and you, 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 you assume intentions. And all of a sudden, r- rather than this person being somebody that you're going to fight for or on behalf of, you fight against them. And listen, the fight is not here. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be in, in, in close relationship. But in terms of the energy and conflict and offense that we take, let's see the real enemy. And when the Eliabs come up and they fire darts at us, see it for what it is. Have have the resolve to pivot and turn like David did. You know what? You're not my enemy. You're having a bad day. 
I understand where you're at. Eliab, I mean, let's just imagine, like, he feels defeated. He's looking at an enemy that he doesn't think he's ever going to win. And then his little brother comes in and shows him up. Like, I get it. He, he, he reacted out of fear, out of frustration, like any of us would. And David saw it for what it was and said, you're not my enemy. You're having a bad day. How many friends do we have that we turn into enemies because they have a bad day? Come on, let's see that for what it is. So we talked about the, 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 the distraction of busyness that steals our relationships. We choose to fight for relationship. We talked about the distraction of, of offense that steals our power. And lastly, what I want to land on is the distraction of noise that steals our purpose. And this is my favorite one because I, I think that this is where the enemy pummels us if we're not careful. But it's also the, the, the place that we, that we gain our greatest strength from as we stay focused on what God has called us to. And we see it in Nehemiah. Again, the third story is Nehemiah. And I love this. He's this great man of God that built the wall around Jerusalem. And we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, When word came to Sanballat and Tobiah, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, they sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying out, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And it says four times they sent me the, the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. I am carrying on a great project. I'll tell you what, this is such an incredible story. Noise, the things that constantly try to distract us from the great thing that God has for us. And I just want to speak this over you. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter your expertise or your passions or what's going on in your life, God has a great project for you. And I don't mean project out in the garage. I don't mean a honey-do list. I mean an overarching thing that God has for you to give your life to. And projects and things, they come and go in their seasons. But the overarching season is your life matters. And then at the end of the day, I want to stand before Jesus in the last chapter of my life. And I want to say, look at what I used my life to do that mattered, that was eternal. And the enemy wants to come. And he wants to distract you from your purpose by all the noise. And Nehemiah said, no, why should I quit what I'm doing, this great thing, so that I can come down with you? I got a great project that I get to be a part of. And I want to talk about three simple ways that the enemy tries to lure you away from your great thing. And the first thing is the lure of pleasure. I'll tell you what, I'm susceptible to this. We all are, especially in Southern California or wherever you are. And it's kind of the narrative of the day. Live your best life. And you know what the world says your best life is? Having the most fun you can possibly have at any given time for the most amount of time. Just go have an awesome time. This is what the message is. And the lure of pleasure, if you're not careful, will lure you away from the great thing that God has for you to go have a lot of fun. 
And I don't want to get to the last chapter of my life and say, God, look at all the fun I had. I just bought a trailer. God, can I just tell you how many times I was able to take that trailer out? How many times I was able to go camping? How many times I was able to have a great time and go do this and that? And Oh, by the way, the retirement that I saved and all the things that that I get to do because of all this money. And this is the narrative, how great my life is. And all the while, the enemy's like, yeah, I've totally diverted you from the great thing that God had for you, the eternal thing, the thing that mattered, and all the people around you, oh, they're dying and going to hell, but man, I'm having a great time. This is the distraction of the enemy. It's noise in your life that takes you away from your purpose. And it doesn't mean we can't have fun. It doesn't mean I'm not going to use my trailer. But again, it's what are you, what are you giving your life for? The second thing that the enemy uses is the pursuit of success. This is more noise in your life deviating from your great project. It's, it's the, the desire or the need to be successful at whatever you do. So this is why you put in more hours at work and you're constantly going and going and going. And the people around you are like, man, you, you don't have to go that hard. But in your mind, that's the pursuit. I have to be successful. I have to be liked. I have to be valued. I have to be worth something. And so we go and we go and we go because that's the pinnacle. That's become our great project, become a success. And, and I just want to tell you that God has an incredible life and purpose for you. And it's not you being successful. It's you laying your life down for Jesus and letting him be successful. This is the call of God on your life. And the last one is the pain of regret. Pleasure, success, or we get stuck in regret. We get stuck in that downward spiral of, oh, I made so many mistakes and, oh, people have hurt me and I, I can't get past this thing and I can't get past this, the, the, you know, this struggle and we just get stuck in this place and that becomes our obsession of just, oh, woe is me. It's kind of like the man next to the pool. Like, I'm stuck. I have so many regrets or son of so many shoulda, woulda, couldas and we get stuck in the shame and pain of regret. And, and again, what I say to our church all the time is the best defense is a good offense. If you get stuck in, you know, following God is all the things that you should be doing and all the things that you shouldn't be doing, man, I just got to do more good and I got to stop doing the bad things. I got to do more. I got to be in more church. I got to read my Bible more. I got to do more good things and I got to stop doing all these things over there. I'll tell you, that is not the great purpose that God has for you. And that's not what Paul said in Philippians when he said that you, that you, that you, you're supposed to be called up to the upward call of Christ Jesus. That one thing I've done I'm forgetting the past and I'm straining towards what is ahead. See, you can't live your life on the defense. You got to live your life on the offense. What do I get to be a part of? Because when you live that way, all this other stuff, the stuff that used to be a distraction, these temptations and these relationships and this, you know, just the stuff that's calling me down, that stuff seems so silly now. Because what I get to be a part of is so awesome. I get up every day and I'm like, God, thank you for the great things. Thank you for the great purpose that you have on my life. And I'm going to give myself to it. And I'm not going to get stuck just wanting to have a lot of fun. I'm not going to get stuck just trying to be a success. And I'm not going to be stuck in shame and regret. I'm going to give myself to the great project that God has for me. And I want to encourage you today that 
though the enemy is scheming, and I'm telling you, he is. If he can't destroy you, he'll distract you. Though he's scheming today, you and I, we can draw a line in the sand and go, no, I'm shaking off that chain. Maybe momentarily I might be distracted, but at the end of the day, I'm going to fight for my relationships, my walk with God. I'm going to fight the real enemy and not these little conflicts. And I'm going to give myself to the big thing, the great thing that God has on my life. And every day you'll wake up with purpose. Every day you'll wake up with joy. And when you walk through hard things, it'll be worth it. Because you can say, you know what? I got to live a life that was so meaningful and so valuable and helped so many people. And it was worth every second. Can I pray with you? Father God, I I thank you for these moments that we've had together. I thank you for the privilege that I have to speak a few words of encouragement to these awesome people that get to listen today. And Father, we hear you calling us to a life that is filled with purpose and void of distraction. I pray that you'd silence the voice of the enemy and I pray that your voice would be louder than ever, that it would be a voice of encouragement calling us up to the great things. And Jesus, I thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome Sunday and we'll see you next week.